This is Own Up, the Global Shares podcast about employee ownership and equity compensation. Answering questions and sharing with industry experts, here are your hosts, Chris Dorman and John Bagdanas. Welcome back to Own Up, the Global Shares podcast all about employee ownership and equity compensation. I'm your host, Chris Dorman, and I'm joined by John Bagdanas. Hi, Chris. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that has been in the works for a long time. SEC's pay versus performance rule was first proposed back in 2015, and after struggling for a number of years to make any progress, it was finally reopened in January 2022 and officially adopted in August 2022 by a 3-2 vote. In broad terms, the ruling requires companies to disclose executive compensation payments and actual company financial performance. This is why we have our special guest here today to help us dig deep into pay versus performance so other listeners can have a clear understanding of what is expected of them when they're preparing their proxy statements. We're delighted to have Terry Adamson back on Own Up. Terry, otherwise known as Mr. Relative TSR, is a partner at Infinite Equity and has designed over 800 global employee stock plans and is a former global practice leader for the insurance giant Aon, where he oversaw all of their equity and governance services. Welcome, Terry. Or should I say, welcome back. Am I the first individual that is a second time attendee on Own Up? I, I, yes, I think you have that unique uh, distinction now. You are, you are a return guest. That's great. I should be right at home. By the way, who came up with the name Own Up? I kind of really like the name. It's a play on uh, employee ownership, but it's also partially like I feel like I'm at a confessional here, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I only did 50,000 simulations today. Oh, I rounded to two digits. Oh, I targeted grant sizes at the 75th percentile. God forbid. No, I have to give credit to John. I think John was the one, uh, maybe with help, some of our marketing colleagues, but John definitely was the one who uh, you know, came up with the title. So, Well done, John. I'm glad you like it. So in that vein, own up, Terry. What do you think about these new rules? <laughs> well, they kind of rocked my world, to be honest. Um, quick reminder to everybody in the audience, they got released in August of 2022. Now, at the time when they got released, it was a little bit of a surprise. I wasn't expecting them for a few more months. I was sitting on a boat, cruising down the Rhone with my family, my daughter, my son, my daughter's boyfriend, my sister, her husband, my parents. And I was on a nice family vacation. Well, so much for that. I became family time during the day. And all night long, I was reading these new rules and writing articles about these new rules. And in the span of that 10-day vacation, I'd written 10 articles by the end of it, which was great. So it rocked my world. These new rules are massive. And they're going to have a huge change in how we pay people. Okay. So here's my, here's my thoughts. Number one, they're theoretically really sound. I think the Theoretically, and I'll get into some of the math a little bit later, this incremental compensation actually paid really sound. Now, I think the concept that, you know, sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants, I think that's valid in this point. And I think putting all of these numbers on paper will help clean up some problematic paper practices. Number two, though, the implementation timeline was incredibly aggressive. It was like a Band-Aid just being ripped off in one swoop. Um, the fact that it was 
the rules were put out and basically expected to be implemented immediately, and companies weren't ready for that. And truthfully, the guidance that was out there by the SEC was probably only 90% of the way there. There was another 10% of kind of gray, tough areas that really needed a lot more clarity to them. And the SEC hasn't done much about those last that last 10%. So all things considered, you know, I think maybe the SEC took a lesson from a lot of startups in Silicon Valley. Let's if you wait for your product to be perfect, then it's probably too late. So they just got it out there and we're going to figure out where some of the flaws are. And I, you know, truthfully, I think a lot of the companies, the issuing companies out there that are dealing with this have already found a lot of the flaws and hopefully they'll get corrected over the next few years. Chris, are you pretty familiar with the new rules and all the technical things? You, you know, is it, would the audience be interested in kind of walking through exactly what the rules are requiring? I, I am somewhat familiar, not as familiar as I should be. And I, and I think you're right. They, they are long. And I think, you know, the SEC um, should have maybe considered how successful Sarbanes-Oxley and Dodd-Frank were, uh, where it took a little bit longer than they expected. So uh, I think you're right. But are there a few items from the disclosure that you immediately hone in on that you want to mention that stand out? Yeah, there, there's really three big requirements. Number one is to require a new table that gets put into the proxy, and it's the pay versus performance table. And that table is going to have, this year, three years of disclosures of a new definition of pay called compensation actually paid. And it's also going to have four different performance measures, total shareholder return, pure total shareholder return, gap net income, and then lastly, a choice, a company-selected measure. And that is going to go up to five years. So that's the big thing, and that's one big table. Secondly, it's going to require a tabular list of between three to seven incentive measures that are most important to compensation and actually pay. It's just a tabular list, and that's pretty straightforward to come up with as well, and it's an unranked tabular list. And then the third thing is some sort of descriptive relationship between compensation actually paid and each of those four financial performance measures I talked about, TSR, pure TSR, gap net income, and lastly, the company selected measure, whatever that is. And that descriptive relationship can either be in the form of a narrative, you know, write paragraph after paragraph on that, or it can be in the form of a graph because a picture says a thousand words. So that's what the core responsibility of all of these rules are, is to come up with those three components right there. Um, now when I'm looking at it and luckily we're in a position where we've probably seen about a hundred of these released already into, um, early filers. And the thing that I really am honing in on is because the table requires a summary comp table number, and then it requires this new definition of pay called compensation actually paid. What I hone in on is if compensation actually paid over this three-year period is greater or less than the summary comp table numbers. The summary comp table numbers should theoretically be the market rate of pay. That's the, what somebody has negotiated into the marketplace pit with. That's their job offer, their base pay, their LTI, the grant date, fair value of the equity. That's the market rate of pay. The compensation actually paid now is what ultimately gets earned out at vesting effectively. And if the compensation actually paid is greater than the summary comp table, 
that tells me a story. Presumably, the company has done better than the rest of the market. If that's because the, the summary comp table number, the market rate of pay, ought to be commensurate with the returns of the market as a whole. So if the summary comp table numbers are greater than the market rate of pay, then, or if the compensation actually paid is greater than market rate of pay, then I want to see TSR that's greater than the market return, the peer group TSR. If it's less, I expect the peer group TSR to be higher than your own TSR. So th- that's what I'm really honing in on more than anything else. Um, and what I find interesting is the excess of the compensation actually paid, the excess of that compensation actually paid to the summary comp table compared to the excess market cap growth compared to the peer market cap growth. And the, divide those two things by each other and I get what's called a sharing ratio. What percentage of the growth is shared to the CEO, what percentage of the growth is shared to the other named executive officers. So that's what I'm really kind of paying attention to. The only other thing that I think is moderately compelling is what companies are picking as their company-selected measure. That's the, what is the one single measure that is most important in determining compensation actually paid? Well, that's very interesting, Terry. Then tell me about the term compensation actually paid it feels like that term is causing some confusion. Yeah, you've honed in on a problem. It's definitely been confusing for people. No doubt about it. It's probably an unfortunate name in hindsight. You know, I wish maybe it was named something like incremental growth in, in unvested equity value or something. But that sounds terrible as well. You know, let me first start with a few definitions, right? There's a few definitions of pay that are already out there. We've already, I, I already mentioned the summary comp table pay. Another way to say that number is the reported pay, because that was what's reported in the proxy. Another number that's out there that people talk about a lot is the realized pay. How much is realized in the future? That's very common with what you see with a W-2 in the U.S., right? That's actually how much they earn after the exercise of stock options, after the sale of shares. And then the other kind of third definition, a little bit more abstract that's out there is what's uh, realizable. What's the value of your unvested equity, the value of your equity holdings even prior to sale? You know, and this new definition, compensation actually paid, is a little bit of a combination of all of those things, of all of those reported pay, realized pay, and realizable pay. But, um, but what it really comes down to is this it's an incremental growth of your realizable unvested pay. So you keep kind of remeasuring uh, the growth and the fair values of your equity up until the point in time of vesting. You know, the one, one of the areas where I think a lot of people have been confused on before is this compensation actually paid can be negative. How ludicrous does that sound? I have a negative compensation actually paid. All that's telling me though, is that the value of your invested stock has gone down over that year. And because, and when there's, you know, when you have a real bear market, like we have had over the last year, a lot of companies are having negative pay, but it confuses people with the name. No doubt about it, Chris. You, you just used a, a term value. And I, I think that's one of the key distinctions that I, that you've raised before. Uh, why is compensation actually paid updated with, you know, fair value or, you know, wouldn't it have been much easier 
if it were done with something like intrinsic value and more transparent? Yeah. Again, <laughs> good point. Um, so you're absolutely right. Fair value. The fact that these remeasurements of equity at the end of the fiscal year at vesting has to be done with fair value rather than intrinsic value is, is added the, a lot of rigor to this. No doubt about it. You know, most companies now historically have done that with what I'd call intrinsic value. Intrinsic value represents what's the value of the asset today if we were sold today. A fair value takes into account the future and the, 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 the potential growth into the future of what somebody would pay for that thing. Now, if the rules said intrinsic value, and that's the way most companies calculate that today, and that's in the, the outstanding equity table that's already in the proxy, that's already there, intrinsic value. But if the rules for this purpose used intrinsic value, then what would occur is companies would move towards fully vested stock options on the date of grant at the money fully st vested stock options. Because a fully vested stock option, Chris, what's the value? What's the intrinsic value of it if it's granted at the money? It's worth zero. And so it kind of go, people would move towards granting that so they could disclose they granted the CEO zero dollars worth of value here. Um, which would go against the old ASC 718 FAS 123R that FASB moved to in 2006. So I think they made the right decision. I think they had to move to fair value for this, even though it's counter what um, kind of what a lot of advisors and comp consultants have done historically. And it does make it a lot harder because that's a lot of Black-Scholes valuations, a lot of Monte Carlo simulations that have to be done. So valid point. So let me take a different tack. How's your artwork? Can, can you draw a picture that describes the relationship between CAP and the financial measures? <laughs> Number one, my artwork is terrible. All right, my 10-year-old child can do a lot better with his artwork than I can do. Um, you know, and, and truthfully, probably a lot better than what companies are doing so far. Like I said, there's about 100 companies that have filed early already. And all of them are choosing to put in these four graphs, and they all look virtually identical. Um, that on the x-axis shows the year, and on the y-axis shows the financial measure, and we'll typically add a secondary axis, which is stock price over on things. So um, the graphs don't tell a very good story at all. Um, you know, I'll tell you a story... A couple of weeks ago, one of my clients reached out and said, can you make these graphs for us? And I labored over them over a whole day. Like, How can I paint a picture that tells the story of what net income versus versus compensation actually paid? And I created these very bespoke, very custom graphs. I was really kind of proud of them. You know, I was invested in them. I'd spent a lot of time. And of course, a week later, my client comes back to me and says, oh, the attorney said they want their charts to look just like these four. I said, I could have done that in five minutes time. Come on. Um, so what I'm getting at is this year, year number one, I think has really become a compliance exercise. They've released this new product. They've released this new reporting thing. I think they want to see what gets put out there. I think we're just evaluating. We're trying to comply. We're trying to meet the rules. And over time, it, it will evolve. Over time, it's going to get a lot better, these new rules. Um, 
And I hope the pictures and I hope my artwork gets better as well in the process. I need to take some lessons from my 10-year-old. Well, Terry, as we're beginning to wrap it up, what are the next changes here with these rules that you foresee? There, there really hasn't been some indications. I can give my thoughts. You know, the, the SEC did come out with some new guidance about a month ago, a few weeks ago, with um, some disclosure interpretations, some CNDIs. Now, truthfully, those CNDIs, those new interpretations, were they weren't that helpful in fairness. They didn't do a lot. Um, there's going to be a lot more guidance that has to be put out over the, over the next year. There's still a lot of gray technical areas. You know, I don't want to get into the details of some of those technical areas, but retirement eligibility, still, still very vague of how to handle that. It, does a retirement eligibility employee have an unconditional right? Uh, still really vague on how to handle new IPOs and when compensation actually paid ought to start in that fact pattern. Spinoffs. How do you disclose the financial measures of spinoffs when those occur? There's a lot of grayness and those will all get sorted. I have no doubt that they're going to get sorted. I do have my opinions, though. I mean, I, I do hope these are going to improve. Um, I do hope that, you know, for example, one thing that I, one thing that I've noticed is this new compensation actually paid, right? It can be wild. It can be very volatile in itself, negative one year, huge and positive the next year. It's all over the map. And any one single year doesn't tell you a lot, any one single year. But in the aggregate, when you look at a long-term over three years of summary comp table numbers and three years of compensation actually paid and summed them all together, that tells you a good story, actually. It tells you something if something's, somebody's made a lot more. So I would like to see a total put onto this. And, and I think that would give us and give the investor a better understanding of things. So that's, that's one. Number two... Um, you know, one of the key benefits of these new pay versus performance rules is that every single number in it is being XBRL tagged. And that means individuals, consumers in the marketplace have access to this data in a really scalable way, which is great, right? We can do some real research on it. We can really study it. All of the footnotes that are going on in this table, there's a really broad diversity and how those are being disclosed and in different formats. And I'm concerned that all of these footnotes are not going to be, you're not going to be able to compare apples to apples quite as well. So I do hope there's some consolidation um, of, of how these things need to be disclosed or standardized, how they get disclosed. And that'll make the world easier for, for people to do some real research on it um, and compare apples to apples. And then no, the last thing is I think all of these exec comp disclosures are getting too big and too long, right? The, the proxy is massive at this point. And we're starting with, you know, it starts with the, the CDNA, then it, where there's this long narrative, then it moves to the summary comp table, and then we've got the grant of plan-based awards, and we've got equity outstanding as a point in time. And now we have this PVP table. I'm hopeful that we can be, start seeing some consolidation of all of it of all of these different tables, because a lot of them are saying the same thing. Like this new pay versus performance table, it's a combination of all of those other other tables, the summary comp table, the grants, plan-based awards, and the option, uh, the equity outstanding. So we got to simplify this a little bit better. And I think there's ways that it can be consolidated in a much more transparent way now. So I don't know. 
I wasn't being facetious for, before when I said people are taking notes. Uh, you were recently quoted in the Wall Street Journal, so I know people are going to be listening and, and listening hard. So I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I, that reporter had been, um, you know, we'd been talking for a long time and I've been helping to educate on this particular issue. Um, and I do think this particular issue, these pay versus performance rules as painful as they've been um in the long run i think they're going to be really impactful for how people get paid in the long run i think this year is a compliance exercise but we'll see what happens in year two and in year three and in year four i think it's going to be quite impactful on how executives get paid and i think it'd be really helpful for investors i'll give the new rules a, a gray an eight out of ten is that is that a fair grade that sounds fair and I, I just have maybe one final question, and I do want to thank you for your time and for being a return guest. Uh, and this probably dovetails into another topic that we can pursue at a different time. But I, I expect at the end of this year or toward at the end of this year to be a lot of catch up in the M&A um, you know, area of, of what firms are doing, because uh, maybe stock prices are down, people are trying to pick up value. And I think because of COVID, it's been delayed you know, maybe a year, maybe 18 months. But does M does M&A and all of the, you mentioned spinoffs, but all of the other um, you know, permutations of mergers and acquisitions pose a problem for these? Or do you think it's going to be just one of the additional changes that might come down the road? Great question. So it's not going to pose a problem per se and what these rules are. So let's say your equity gets modified because of M&A. And if there's a modification or if your equity gets cashed out because your company gets purchased, it'll still show up. You know, you'll still capture what is the value at vest compared to what was it at the end of the year. And there'll still be an incremental value. So in, in many ways, it's very elegant from an ivory tower perspective, my theoretical perspective. I think the calculation is very elegant and pure. So I, I'm not worried about M&A. You know, as you know, with M&A, impact stock prices, right? Many times there's a premium to them. Many times it's an undervalue and your stock price takes a hit as you buy other companies. So um, whenever you compare TSR, your own TSR to peers, um, you, you know, it'll be impactful with M&A. But again, I, it's a very elegant kind of pure calculation here of this new pay versus performance rules. Very good. Again, Terry, thank you very much for spending some time with us. And, and, you know, it's been always informative. And I think you have you know, a unique way of making the complex simpler than um, just the written word. So thank you. Yes, Terry, this was great. Thanks again. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Own Up by Global Shares. Make sure to subscribe to be notified right away when we release a new episode. And if you like what we're doing, why not share it with friends or leave a review? Until next time, take care. The Own Up Podcast is brought to you by GlobalShares.com. To get the inside track on employee ownership and equity compensation, click follow on your podcast player right now so you get the next episode automatically. Information provided in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It may contain views which differ from the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. For specific guidance on how this information should be applied to your situation, you should consult a qualified professional. For full details, see the show notes on your podcast player right now. 
The Own Up Podcast is produced by DustPod.io for GlobalShares.com.